<laughs> now that I know how much he likes quaint, everything I will use that word constantly. <laughs> it's going to be my new favorite house. word. It is. It's quaint and moist. <laughs> Stop it. Stop oh, it, no. people. No. Stop it. Welcome to the Two Authors Chat Show, an entertaining podcast with two best-selling authors connecting readers with an eclectic array of distinguished guests through lively conversation and interviews. Hosted by mystery, suspense, and thriller writers, Douglas Pratt and Nicholas Harvey. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to the show. How are you doing, Doug? Happy New Year, sir. How are you? I'm almost as good as it. I know, it's been forever. It's been like a whole year. I'm jealous. You went diving. I did. It was awesome. It was great. I'm the one who does the diving all the time. Now you want up me. I mean, I've been... Just, I mean, you live in California. It is currently like 40 degrees outside here in Memphis. So, <laughs> Yeah, but you know how cold the water is here? This is where we learned to dive uh, when we lived in California years ago. And uh, we learned in Catalina. And it's bloody freezing cold. It's everyone. <laughs> it's funny. We're going down to the beach. All year the, round. Oh, too. yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the summer, you go to the beach. And you know the tourists. They go running down the beach. And the kids are like, oh, the ocean. They go running in. And like, oh, it's freezing cold. <laughs> it's not warm at all. Oh no! The water was great. Where we were in, um, we did the Blue Heron Bridge, which is in Lake Worth, uh, Riviera Beach area, so kind of West Palm, and it was seventy-three degree weather uh, water. Lovely. I bet we have a listener question. We do have a listener question, and it comes from Rebecca Stovall from Santa Fe, New Mexico. I like Santa Fe. That's a cool cool town we stopped it's a really cool town wow it's, it's very artistic it's got a neat little downtown area you know her question what would you do for a klondike bar <laughs> what would i do for an ice cream um most of the time you not, pay about no, not an ice cream a klondike bar do y'all have those in in britain it's an ice cream bar right it is it's yeah it's chocolate on the outside like it's yeah yeah, it's like an ice cream on a stick with chocolate around it. I've had them, yes. What do you normally do for one? I normally give over about $4. I think they're about 4 bucks a freaking ice cream. But what would I do ice if... Ice cream's expensive, yeah. yeah. What would I do for free to get one? Well, $4 worth of work, I guess. I'd probably do something stupid. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd drop my pants uh, in the yeah, middle of the yeah. street to get one. If it had the nuts on it, maybe. like the. Seriously, you didn't just thing. say like, that. I just said I'll drop my pants and you referenced nuts. Moving along, what would you do for a Klondike bar? <laughs> oh, apparently stick my foot in my mouth. That's what I would do. <laughs> Bad choice of words. That's it. <laughs> so. Hey, if you're listening to the show with your kids, you should know better by now. <laughs> it's right. <laughs> it had to be, I wouldn't do anything cold related like that. Be sure. I would eat ice cream in the cold. So I could eat a pie. I'd rather have pie than ice cream. Have a pie. A good piece of pie. All right. Well, I think we've successfully sent everybody (laughs) to to the fridge or the freezer to go get some ice cream instead of listening to us. So who's on the show? Uh, Today, we have a best-selling author of, and she's like writes in multiple genres. Like she has hundreds of books, this girl. Fantasy, urban fantasy, young adult, sci-fi, but yeah, fabulous writer and wonderful person, Sarah Nofke. Sarah, welcome to the show. It's lovely to have you here. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. You're on my side of the world. 
I know. We're over here on the West Coast enjoying some sunshine. Rubbing it in, rubbing it in. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doug is freezing his ass off. As we should. <laughs> I mean, we pay enough to be here. That's true. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's true. That's true. All right, Sarah, tell us a little bit about your uh, your uh, journey, uh, author journey. How, how did you get to where you are now, which is in a very good place from where we, we're sitting? I think so, um, but it was quite the hike up the mountain. Um, so I'm an urban fantasy writer presently. I have multiple series and quite a large following and um, a huge universe of books. So that's where I'm at. Where I started was about 10 years ago. I mean, obviously, a lot of us wanted to write from an early age, but I mean, that's not practical. So I went and got a business degree as you know, people that write about dragons would do. Um, I taught college <laughs> college courses. That's exactly like HR right there. So. <laughs> so my master's degree is in human resources. No kidding. You know, so I went the business route and, um, you know, that was the safe thing to do. But how I actually got started was I got real bored. You know, it becomes the soul sucking thing where you realize this is where I'm going to die. <laughs> in this little cubicle. (laughs) And so I started writing on my lunch breaks. I had my daughter and I think that that was the first time I ever had more than three days off in my life. I thought that it would be a a lot of work and it is, I'm not dispelling parents and, and taking care of children, but they sleep a lot. And I just all of a sudden just got really bored. And so I, I invented a fantasy world, but I wrote a lot of books before I hit not just my audience and my stride and my genre. But before I got the confidence to realize that I could keep doing this, obviously there's imposter syndrome and things like that. But I think that like you get superstitious if you get a hit and you're like, well, that happened once. It's never going to happen again, you know? And so it took me a long time. I write with Michael Anderley a lot and he had to convince me, I think this is in you. It's not the cosmic universe all of a sudden aligned because I wouldn't change my nail polish color once I got a, a best-selling <laughs> series. I was like, I had a vitamin routine and I was just like, <laughs> you're you like, know? I'm just gonna do it. It's, it's nothing. Yeah, I get it. Doug's Doug no, worn the same underpants now for a year and a half, hoping another hill come along. That's right. Oh exactly. wow. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I advise on changing clothes. Um, <laughs> so it was a long journey, but you know, now it's more enjoyable than ever. So that's kind of a short in a nutshell of how I got here. Oh, so then so you write dragons. So I have a off the wall question, but like what are there different kind of dragons in your universe? I mean, I've read about different kinds. So do you have different kinds of dragons and what's your favorite kind of dragon? That is such a good question. Cause I was just having this conversation with my daughter in the car. She's 12. And like I said, she's the reason that I really started. <laughs> Doug can ask questions like 12-year-old. That's perfect. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Nick, that's not where I was going, but I, I, I can already tell that I'm going to enjoy on, this. right, yes. I, I <laughs> like you already. This is, uh, <laughs> If we can just spend the show picking on Doug, I, I love it. No, I, I can do that. And I'm just, and he's, he's, a, he's a good sport, but I just meant that this was relative because I guess most parents talk to their children about normal things, we don't have normal conversations. Usually it's about dragons and things. So um, to answer your question, my dragons are old world meets modern. The idea originally with my hit series was that we had this LA girl who 
was the first female dragon rider. And so she gets her egg and she is called to the uh, place where the dragon elite, the dragon riders meet. And they're a bunch of crusty old 500 year old uh, Scotsmen that don't like modern world things. And they live in castles. And Just like Nick, he's, he's old, crusty. He's not Scottish, but he's close, I guess. So close. He, hates, close. he hates everything uh, modern. He's like, ugh, people. <laughs> see, Nick, I mean, you, you threw out the first punch and Doug's just I deserved back it. with it. I deserved it, yeah. I had it coming. So what I tried to do with my dragons is I have the old world meets new world with the characters and the same thing. You have the new generation with the old generation of dragons. So my main character, Dragon, plays video games and eats Cheetos and he tells dad jokes and he lives in the pad, which is his own cave. So they have different personalities, which I thought was a nice dichotomy because it's not what you expect from the very wise dragons that know in, uh, you know everything and share a, a super consciousness I really like to play on that, especially in the urban fantasy market. But I do have dragons that have all different skills. So Lunas is is my main character, and Lunas, meaning moon, he can supersize to the size of a um, 747 plane on a full moon. And then, I mean, I have ones that have fire magic and have water magic. Um, So the question with my daughter this morning was, I have a new dragon riding series where I'm going to reverse what I've just done, and I'm going to take somebody from the past... I haven't figured out when, like 1400s, maybe, you know, like maybe Renaissance, I don't know. And I'm going to stick her in the present day with a dragon egg. And so we're going to reverse what we've done. But I was like, what should her her dragon's uh, power be? And my daughter decided mind control because she's 12 and she would like to have that on me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to answer your question, <laughs> lots of different powers. And I mean, we're all just doing wish fulfillment at the end of the day. That's a, that's a good way of describing us, too. Like, you know, what do you do? We wish fulfillment. Just our own, but, you know. Play with our imaginary friends all day, as Cap Daniel says. And we all start off, all my p- characters, they start off poor. And lo and behold, they <laughs> they get rich. Also, their magic is calorie-based. So if they need more <laughs> magic, they just eat. <laughs> <laughs> That's mine too, actually. Yeah, the more I can eat, the more magical I am. I explain that to everybody. So I keep trying, but it's not working. I just get fatter, not 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 smarter. I don't have powers. Nothing, just fatter. I know it's not fat. It's the magic trying to blow itself out of you. <laughs> that's that's a different problem. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so speaking about your daughter, um, obviously, it sounds like you have a fantastic relationship. As you've grown up as a writer and she's grown up as a little human, has she influenced your books a lot and the way you write and the way you write characters? That is an excellent question because I really started writing for her because I think once you have children, all of a sudden you realize that you got to put your your money where your mouth is. You got to walk the talk, you know, sort of thing. And I remember seeing this beautiful little child and thinking, I want her to follow her dreams. And as we've already discussed, I was not doing that. And I was in HR and planning on staying there because that was the safe route. And I thought, how can I follow my dreams? If How can I make her follow her dreams if I don't follow mine? Um, karma is what y'all all know, a B, uh, because now my daughter wants to be an actress and a singer in Hollywood. <laughs> good really? You live awesome. in LA and she wants to be an actress and a singer. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So the universe was like, here you go. You want you wanted to help her follow her dreams. 
So ironic, isn't it? But anyways, so she, at an early age, she influenced me to start writing. And then my characters are always a lot about her because I wanted somebody that she could idolize. So for instance, my dragon rider that I spoke about, she's completely modeled after my daughter, Lydia. You know, she's the first female dragon rider. She comes in and she's got this strong attitude. Um, She's not afraid of anything, but she's also very fair. I tend to be very sarcastic and a little rude. I don't know. And so I have characters modeled after me and people like those people. As Sophia, the character based on her, is very fair. She's very strategic. She's she's an adjudicator, you know. She she arbitrates and she takes care of things in diplomatic ways and is not like me. So I really have taken a lot of influence. And then I inevitably, if I get stuck on a plot problem, I just talk to her about it. And I've been doing it since before she could talk. And for some reason, that dynamic really helps. But I think that children have such creative brains that just kind of nurture us to free think. So she really has been um, a part of it. Don't tell her that though. She's going to try to take a cut. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really. Well, my my daughter who uh, she's, she's in her twenties, but she decided that she like, she goes, I don't care what the kid, whatever the other, her brothers get. She's like, I just want to get your books. So when you die, I can keep publishing them. I was like, well, that's, the smart thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I think morbid. I'm flattered by that. Yeah, I think I'm flattered, but I'm not sure. Yeah, What's in like this I'm tea you sure. just gave me? Yeah. Does she read your books? or, does, do you, or um, I make her. Has she ever read your books? Or, okay, good. <laughs> I make her. You read I them mean, to like, her at night? <laughs> I, it's funny. I, she Like last night, she's listening to the audio of the Sophia series. She's progressed through the different ones. I mean, I don't really guilt her, but every now and then I'll see her reading like some other fantasy author. And I was like, oh, cool, because she pays your bills. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Now, there's some, uh, I listened to an audiobook last night, actually, the one that uh, people can find on your uh, website for free. So we'll link that in the show notes. It was great. It was the story with the mirror in the antique shop, but there's some cussing in there. Lydia's all right with that? Well, I'm sure she's all right with it. Is mum all right with it? I mean, she is okay with that. And I don't really run a very um, traditional household. I run a tight ship, but um, she's heard the words before. She just knows she's not allowed to say them. And I'm obviously not naive. I know she says them when I'm not around. But yeah, so early on when I was writing, I wrote in a different universe and I had these cool dream traveler uh, universe. And that was wish fulfillment again, because I think I wanted to maximize time. So I had this whole race of people that when they went to sleep, they could still continue to live their lives. And so they could go anywhere, any place in time, what they did, they really did. If you, you know, want to meet up with your friend, you just coordinate it. I mean, wish fulfillment, Um, but they were a special race of people that had that ability. So that's the book that you were listening to. And I had this character that came out of it. That's this. Englishman named Ren, who is pretty much me. He's just this jerk who says anything and he curses a whole lot. And I, I kind of confused my brand early on where I was like, I'm writing young adult. And then I Ren popped up on the page and just would not stop dropping the F bomb. And I was like, Oh, and I went that way. And then I've now gone back to urban fantasy. And it's not that I can't curse. It's just that I just don't. And it it makes it a little bit easier. It kind of is jarring in this genre. Um, And I like to stay in the young adult market. So, you know, I made some mistakes, but I'm also really lazy. I didn't want to like get extra pin names and things. Oh, yeah. That's always a hassle. (laughs) 
It's work. It was a great story. So are you still writing that series? Thank you so much. So that series is, I would say, complete. It's about six books. And it follows this man named Ren Lewis who has mind control. And I mean, he's the most powerful man because of all of his abilities. But obviously that comes with his disadvantages because when we are given complete control and powers, we're inevitably going to find other problems and be unhappy because we're separated from the rest of the world. But he's kind of this like, you know, like this uh, FBI agent for a secret society for the dream travelers. So his series follows him and it starts with the man behind the monster, which accurately describes him. And then what you read um, and listened to, and thank you so much, was one of his short stories because I literally had to kill him to make the readers leave him alone. Because I was, they kept saying, more Rin, more Rin. So spoiler alert, I killed him. And there's literally a book called The Death of the Monster. But readers got really mad. <laughs> they were like, we want Rin back. Well, the most powerful man in the world can, lo and behold, come back. Anyways, we have like six or seven books with him in it. And if, uh, you know, readers go to the Rin series page, they're all linked in there. Um, his audio, I don't know if you liked it as an Englishman, but uh, I thought that it was a, a good audio production because it's got his accent. Uh, really good, yeah. And it's uh, we just went through this uh, struggle ourselves, finding someone who can do both English and American accents well. And we hunted high and low f- uh, for our uh, Missing in the Keys book because uh, we've got the English protagonist in there, a uh, young English lady, and a brother who's her... Uh, American. And we found a guy, Ray uh, Montecalvo, who's done a brilliant job for us. And I was actually impressed with the uh, uh, narrator you had. He tells a good story, but he does the accents well, too. I believe it on both sides. That's important. His name is uh, Tim Campbell, and he's American. He lives down the street from me, actually. But he does the accents. And I interviewed a lot of people for The Voice of Ren. And he really came through and people will message me and they'll say, oh, it's so cool that you actually, you know, got a real Englishman. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I could tell he was American, but it was, um, but it's, his accent is solid. Better than my accent these days, because I've got this muddy mid-Atlantic accent because I've been <laughs> out of England so long. So English people come along, they're like, where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> You're just confusing everybody, aren't you? England, Arkansas. England, Arkansas. That's- oh, how great is that? But you said, so you said, obviously you you've got a huge readership, like they're rabid, especially if you're going to bring back characters from the dead. So what all do you have to do to, to appease? I mean, with, with all of your books and all your series and stuff, I mean, how do you keep them happy and keep them coming back for more? You know, what's the secret? Good question. Um, I'll let you know when I figure that out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh, no, uh, it's a good question. And Cooler dragons. This is one oh, see, that's the thing is I am going back to dragons because they really, really like it. And at first I was worried because I don't know how to ride a dragon. I don't know the anatomy of a dragon since then I've learned that. So I was really intimidated when I started that series, but it hit really big because again, people just love the majestic, but to appease them, what I found is it's all about the protagonist. And so they really love, I have the Buffon universe and they really love this family because it's all of these people that fight for justice that have the best sassiest attitude that you can imagine. And so I've just found the little things. And it's funny because there's not a lot of difference between my different series. And I don't know how many I have, like maybe 15, but the ones that have hit really big 
it's always the same core elements. You know, they want them to be this, you know, really great heroine that's strong, but has a lot of disadvantages. And then we level her up and we got to give her some weapons and there's sass and there's food and there's always friends, companions. And I mean, I swear they would rather the anybody die than the talking squirrel. You know, that they... <laughs> the fantasy version of killing the dog. You can't kill the squirrel. No, you cannot kill the squirrel. And so I'm just figured out like what they like. And you know what? It's not rocket science. Do not reinvent the wheel. Go ahead and give them, you know. So in this last one, it was like, I started with um, a, a reader uh, with an author, uh, a character that had a cat that was talking. So the next book, you know, I give her a talking dragon. And then the next book, it's a talking squirrel. And the companion obviously is always smarter than the the human, you know? <laughs> so my readership tends to be, it tends to scale older, uh, retired. And so they love justice and fighting for the little guy. That's amazing. I really would have thought it was younger with, you know, dragons and fantasy and everything else. You automatically think of, uh, you know, teenagers and uh, young adults. But they just don't read, which, I mean, is a societal problem, obviously. They're all on a TikTok and and the YouTube. Yeah. Books aren't instantaneous enough for them. Yeah, they've got, you know, Netflix that they get to finish and, you know, all these things. So I've actually had a hard time because originally I started in young adult and that was my readership. And that was when we had book bloggers and all these, you know, young girls and stuff. And I mean, I think as authors, we're always having to like reinvent ourselves. Yeah. Travel. You love to travel. And now you're forced into some travel (laughs) with your your husband. But uh, where do you like to go and what do you like to do? Well, right right now, I travel a lot internationally. Yeah, it's funny. Again, like be careful what you wish for, like with my daughter and being like, follow your dreams. And then it's not that I don't want her to be an actress and a singer. I'm just like, get a business degree. But anyways, uh, and then I came up with the, the, the dream travelers because I love the idea of traveling. And then I married a Scotsman who can't get into this country. And so I only way to see him, and I really like him a lot. So I do like to see him is to travel. And so we just got back from Toronto. We were in Montreal, Mexico, Scotland. Um, We'll be in Spain and London. But some of my most favorite places this last year were Amsterdam and Barcelona. And it becomes amazing inspiration because back in the day before I had money, I just went to Wikipedia and Wikipedia told me what Barcelona was like. But now it's just I, I think my books are so much richer because I did. I went to Barcelona and I went to this flamenco show and I left there and I thought, what if my main character needs to find her guardian angel and the guardian angel is like literally helping her to stay alive. But she also has to have a full time job because guardian angelship doesn't pay the bills. So she's a flamenco dancer. I mean, these are not ideas that I would have come up with if I was sitting at home, you know, writing my book. So it does give it a lot more richer richer environment richer storyline if you can see like you know and and i think it relates to people who have traveled and been there people who are like oh i i love going to barcelona but i'm not there now they're going to jump on those books because oh it's all about it's set there it's set in barcelona it's it's where i want to be kind of the feeling so again wish fulfillment (laughs) also um i have lots of readers that are disabled and so it gives them the opportunity to travel the world and experience things. And um, 
that's one reason that they like their heroin to, you know, be able to punch a troll in the face. We see that too, because we both write tropical thrillers on, on boats and, and Nick writes a lot of diving and stuff. And so we'll have people who, who used to dive or who used to have sailboats and, and are like, they're too old now. So they enjoy that living vicariously through our stories. And I think that's kind of, kind of a cool way to look at it. I think the details too, like the location details, like you're talking about in Spain and what have you, is uh, it's all about putting the reader in the situation, right? Either as a voyeur or or feeling like they are the protagonist in these situations. So those those details and descriptions of the locations, uh, the more accurate they are, the better it feels to the reader. I think. Absolutely, but I mean, we do have to do our homework, and I'm sure that you guys find this a lot with your boats. I couldn't write about boats because I would really mess it up, you know, and I'm sure that you, you know, you've got to make sure that those are accurate because you've got people that know what they're talking about that could call you out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, in, my yeah first, in my, in my first book, I made a mistake before I owned a sailboat. I own a sailboat now, but in my first book, I made a mistake about how fast it could go. And I still hear people who correct me on it. And I'm like, well, they're absolutely right. He was <laughs> but you know, it's one of and then there's like, the uh, opinions when you get no, you yeah. get people like even in my uh, beta arc group, I get people arguing about points and what a plane could do or what a boat could do. I had a really funny back and forth in the private Facebook group one time about how far a plane could fly on a how big a tank it, it fuel tank it could have and what was issued in 1960 something as an optional tank, and it was like, oh my god, these people. They're going to kill each other. Well, there you're driving interest, and it sounds like you didn't do anything quite wrong. It's just that there was a debate, a debatable point. I, at one point, made a serious mistake with my life, and I decided to start writing space opera. I should never have ever gone near this ever, and I would get emails from people that were like, okay, do you know what science is? (laughs) (laughs) And a ship doesn't go right. (laughs) No, I didn't do it that bad. (laughs) That would be really, really bad. You are not scared of a genre, are you? I'm not. And it was really big. And I I had some influences that were like, okay, you know, let's do this. And I was kind of going for the money at that time because, well, I was a single mother and I was needed to pay the bills. And it was um, it was a hot genre. And I literally said to um, uh, Craig Martell, I said I was writing the urban fantasy and I said, you just take the wand and you put a gun in their hand instead, right? And he like was like, I think you can do this. And then later he was like, and he's, he's a Marine. He was like, he's like, I don't think you can do this. Because I was like, <laughs> so you know what? It's happy accidents. It's evolution. Because if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have graduated to real urban fantasy where I learned the best thing in the world is magic and magitech. Because Readers can't argue with me because I'm always like, oh, no, no, that was magic. Like, and I, yeah, and I, exactly. I invented the rules and I just broke them. So they just didn't have a burger that day. You were talking about an anatomy of a dragon earlier. I'm like, who is the, the person that goes, this is the way a dragon is? I mean, who gets to say that? It's a freaking dragon. You get to make it up. It can have wheels. It's this, <laughs> There's no rules. But there are rules. It's amazing there are, but there are. Yeah, look, at you know, vampires have rules, and, and if you break them, then you get silvery vampires, glittery vampires and stuff, and I guess people get upset about that. So so in genre, so what, you've written tons, and obviously space opera is not going to be your next one, but is there something you would like to write about that you've not written about before? I have this burning idea 
for a cozy mystery, uh, paranormal cozy mystery. Call it my husband's influence. I've been spending so much time in Scotland and you go to these cozy little villages and there's cobbled roads and old churches. And by the way, if you say quaint, your husband will will divorce you already. Don't say quaint. Why am I not allowed to say quaint? Because <laughs> every American does that. It's so quaint. I'll give you quaint. It's our freaking house. It's where we live. Just because it was built 500 years ago. <laughs> he, he must Nick's, be holding Nick back because I'm sure he's a, said it. He's a, little, he's a little hateful. Don't worry about it. He's just like, you know, he's just angry. <laughs> it's like dragon rules. You can't put wheels on dragons and you can't say quaint when you're in Scotland. Can I say cozy? Yeah, you can get away with cozy. Okay. I won't. I, you've you've now broke me of quaint. He's so cranky. <laughs> I, <laughs> now that I know how much he likes quaint, everything I will use that word constantly. <laughs> it's going to be my new favorite house. word. It is. It's quaint and moist. <laughs> Stop it. Stop oh, it, no. people. No. Stop it. All you have to do is show your weaknesses in order to have them exploited. I mean, that's what real friends do. That's that's really it. I really love the idea of doing a cozy mystery. I had um, come up with this idea when I was in Amsterdam. And it just really took full force. And I was like, oh, I want to do this right away. I'm under contract for books probably up until like April of 2025. So I also have to take my own advice that I tell authors all the time. And it's stay faithful to what you're working on. You know, don't jump all around. I don't know if, if you guys do. And I'm, I'm not criticizing anybody that does. I just think that when I was writing uh, Space Opera, I was also writing a fantasy series. And I mean, that's like being a schizophrenic, you know, like one day they've got <laughs> unicorns and the next day they're, you know, fighter pilots. It just doesn't work for me. And I write really fast. I write a book in about two to three weeks. So it works for me because I can stay in it and then I can just frolic off to Scotland and, you know, play in castles. That's not really how my life works. <laughs> just <so serious. laughs> Well, you have a 12 year old, so there's no way that life works that way. So. No, it doesn't. Um, but I really like the idea of cozy mysteries. I love the idea of doing something with pirates because who doesn't love a pirate? Wait, there's a lot of people. <laughs> Never mind. Pirates riding dragons. Oh, this is a new. I mean, okay, I'll take that. That's a that's a great one. Uh, uh, instead of cannons, have to, they have dragons. Yes, but see, I'm afraid of pirates because hey, they're pirates, and B, the ships. So I would need your guys's help because I would screw that up. All over the place. Well, we could do we could do <laughs> pirates, and I mean, the, you co-write a lot. We'd be happy to co-write with you. We could do some like pirate dra- dragon. I, I've and, written pirates in my timelines in my yeah, books, you did, so yeah. I got a little pirate uh, pirate action going on. We can help you with that. Sl- slate us in for the autumn of twenty five. <laughs> I know, right? We won't be busy by then. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she writes a book in three weeks. She'd be sending us like, "Where's your part? Where's your part?" And I'm like, "Wait, I've already written." <laughs> I mean, we all go at our own speed. <laughs> yeah. Well, mine's much slower. But I mean, actually, I mean, I'm not, we're not, neither one of us are real slow. But we're not three weeks fast, but, you know. It's yeah, slow. that's impressive. But it's also genre dependent. I write, I literally have like 60 or 70 books in this universe. You know, it's always the same kind of protagonist. The universe is well established. It's a fight for justice. I insert a lot of dad jokes and then I say, oh, it was magic. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not downplaying my books i'm just saying i'm not writing thrillers with complicated plots it's not sci-fi i don't have to do a ton of research it's all it's all what you're used to right 
Absolutely. Gotcha. No. I, it's easy to throw them back together. So we have one last question for you. And I don't know if you've listened to us yet all, but we have a, a wheel of questions. I'll show you our wheel. So it's just a f- oh. random question. So it'll be our final Fancy one. wheel. And well, it's only for the sound effects. You ready? You get the. I feel like you're on a game show now. Huh? You're not going to win anything, <laughs> just so you know that. Yeah, there's nothing to win here. So as, as an author, what was the first book to really impact you? I know this answer because I remember reading this and going, okay, I want to do that. And it was Philip Pullman's um, Golden Compass series, or uh, his Dark Materials series, and it started with the Golden Compass. And the reason was it's middle grade, um, if readers are familiar with it. And it's about uh, two young children. Um, I think they're about my daughter's age, about 12. And it was the first time I read something that was fantasy that also had science in it, but not so much science that it like beat you down. And I remember thinking, I'm smarter. I know about quantum mechanics. Did I? No. Did I know about physics? No. But Pullman made me feel like I was all of a sudden smart. And then you're going through, you know, you're jumping time and you're going to other dimensions. And it was, I read it when I was probably about 25 years old. So, I mean, I didn't jump into fantasy like really young. And I just remember thinking, I want to write something like this, that's this smart um, and and, and it is an escape for people. And, you know, since the, and that series has gone on to be made into what HBO series and movies and things. And it's done. Okay. It's done. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's done. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I feel like I read it before it was cool. Uh, I read Harry Potter before it was cool. You are. You're a trendsetter. Okay, Doug, what's, what did you read? Did you read when you were younger? You're in Tennessee. I, oh. <laughs> yeah. Huh? Oh. You had to expect that. I'm, I'm going to get letters over that one, aren't I? That, Hi, Tennessee. I love your, love your state, actually. <laughs> I'm going I'm to send that off to a couple of people. They get Dave Barron's and Ernie Hem- and Dempsey out there. They're going to gang up on me. Yeah, Kirst- 20 books Kirsten Maglin. I'm a, I mean, oh, we got like Oh, no, Kirsten's lovely. Oh, my gosh. You just, you just offended all of us. No. I, I, I read from like very young kids. I mean, uh, the first book that really, like I remember reading the old Encyclopedia Brown series where, you know, you could solve the mystery as you go. So those were kind of, kind of big, but you know, um, so it's, it's hard to say what the first one really was, but cause I was, cause I was reading, really it goes back to my great grandmother used to tell me stories when I was, you know, like she'd sit on her knee and she was from, she was from Mississippi. And so while she obviously couldn't read cause she's from Mississippi, According to oh, no. Nick, there, <laughs> but she can but, play a banjo. She can play a banjo, <laughs> <laughs> but she did tell stories. She she could tell stories, and she, that was that was kind of her thing. She was like ninety years old, and she'd you know you'd sit down and listen to her tell all these stories. You know, Cinderella and the three pigs, and she had other stories that she would tell. That looking back now, definitely involved the life in Mississippi in in the early nineteen hundreds, which you know tended to be racist, but she was still. And <laughs> <laughs> Cinderella had three pigs. <laughs> but nonetheless, it was, it was all about the storytelling. It was all, it was about sitting there and listening to her tell stories. So those, those stories kind of probably impacted me to want to be a storyteller. And then I just started absorbing everything. Sarah, this has been fantastic. This has been a dream come true. Thank a magical you. moment. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone will go to sleep dreaming of dragons tonight. It was really fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Sarah. What a cool lady, huh? Yeah, she's awesome, isn't she? She's fun.
Yeah, she's really cool. I, I, I enjoyed the heck out of that. So what have you been up to? How was your holiday? Oh, it was great. It was very nice. Obviously, like I said, I went diving, but this fact did a little bit of, we had to spread it out. We had uh, some people get COVID, so they some of our holiday plans got uh, moved around. So you banished them from the uh, from the celebrations. Well, mostly I just didn't want to screw up my vacation, so I didn't go see <laughs> yeah. anybody who had COVID. So I was like, I rap a lot. But uh, no, we had a good time. Actually, we, it was a little more low key than normal, so not as much family stuff. But it was it was cool. How about yours, sir? We flew to Charlotte, uh, where my brother and his wife lived just south of there, and my mom flew in from Colorado and. We had a wonderful gathering for, we were there for we were in, a short visit, three or four days. It was fun. We ate too much, probably drank a little too much, played board games, had a lot of fun. It was good Christmas. I have never drank too much, so <laughs> never, <laughs> never have I drank too much. I did, uh, we didn't do anything fun for New Year's Eve? Believe it or not, no, basically. But in the last few years... We never make midnight. We don't even try. We go to bed at like 10 o'clock, put earplugs in so the crazies don't wake us up around midnight. And this year, Cheryl and I love the movie Love Actually. Christmas movie based around Christmas time, right? Old old rom-com. And I'm not really a big rom-com guy, but there's a few of them, uh, those Curtis movies from back in the day that just get, and we both love this movie. It's a feel-good movie. It's a feel sad in places, but feel good. Really well done. They hit all the tropes throughout. It, it gets you. So we hadn't watched it over Christmas, and we watch it every Christmas. So so I'm like, oh, let's see that. And it was on Netflix, and it was on Netflix, but ending, like they were taking it off again at, on the 31st, at the end of the day. So we literally had – so we <laughs> so we put that on, and like, well, we'll probably only watch half of it. We watched it. We it finished at like 11.40, and uh, so we made it before Netflix kicked us out of it <laughs> by like 20 minutes. That's hilarious. And then, yeah, brushed your teeth, went to bed, and um, some noise was happening outside, and we looked at the clock. It was midnight. So we actually made it to midnight um, for the first it, time huh? in years. Wow, yep. that's cool. It's been a while. We did go out to some friends' parties and stuff, and honestly, I haven't celebrated New Year's in a long time because I went for like 15 years working and running New Year's Eve parties and stuff. Oh, and that'll do. And so when I... When I quit doing that, I was like, I'm not celebrating New Year's Eve ever. And we rarely do. Like last year, we were traveling. I think we were, we went to the boat last year and just kind of hung out. Most of the time, we're usually traveling or something. So last night, this or a couple of nights ago, whatever New Year's Eve was, we ended up going out and hanging out with some friends and stuff. And that was a good time. So it was kind of low key. All right. Tune in every oh, yeah. two I, before weeks. Before we do that, you know, you know, before you you break off, I have to tell you the one other cool thing I got was I got this cool mug with a couple of people's faces on it. And I think <laughs> it's available for anybody to buy. Thank you for bringing that up. That's how good at promotion I am. I forget that we have stuff. Exactly. You forgot we have a new mug. Yes, there's a new mug with both of our faces. So if you sit at home, like, I would like a way to make my coffee just that much more sexier than putting Nick and Doug's face on it is going to do it for you. So we're full James Bond on the cut on the, on the picture too. Check out our show notes and you'll, I'm sure that you'll put a link in there for it because you're good at promo stuff, right? <laughs> if I remember, I will, but if not, you go to harveybooks.com and uh, go in the store there and you can, uh, you can find them, but I will put it in the show notes. But then it's like you were saying, check back every two weeks as we have another guest in a couple of weeks. Until the next time, be cool to each other. And fair winds and following seas. You've been listening to the Two Authors Chat Show. 
with Nicholas Harvey and Douglas Pratt.